Well, good morning, everyone. I'm a person of time, so I was told 11 o'clock. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am, I'm good. I appreciate it. Thank you. No, ma'am, I'm, I'm not a coffee person. <laughs> and so I, I appreciate each of you being here and thank God for this opportunity. As I said, I'm a person of, of time and I believe the things of God should be done on and in time. And so um, also with the lesson that is before us, I need as much time as I can get. Um, but it, we're in for a very exciting time um, uh, talking about the grace of God, God's unmerited favor. Um, and so let us have a time of prayer and then we'll go into today's presentation. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity uh, just to share your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be among us and make the revelation of your word relevant in this day. Break up the fallow ground of our hearts that as your word come forth, Lord, we can receive the concepts of your word and then live our lives accordingly. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Thank God and amen. 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 Again, good morning uh, to those of you who don't know. I'm Pastor Al Hill. Amen. And uh, Father Stewart and I are becoming great friends. Thank you, uh, Donnie Maynard. Thank you. Um, but today I've been given an awesome, awesome, awesome responsibility of talking about the grace of God and his grace really is sufficient for us. And many times we find ourselves in, in areas of our life where we question uh, whether his grace is sufficient. We deal with things that are, that are so difficult, um, the challenges that sometimes present themselves in life, uh, the things that we toil with internally, externally, in our world, in our churches, in our communities. Um, and, so, and so today we're just gonna explore a, a few stories in the Bible that I think will bring the grace of God into scope for us. And, and prayerfully, uh, we'll leave out of this place today um, just thankful uh, that God extends his grace to us. One of my favorite verses of scripture is in Lamentations chapter number three. Of course, um, let, me give you, let me give you a disclaimer. Uh, you're probably gonna hear me say, that's my favorite verse. I say that about the whole Bible. <laughs> so you'll hear me say, that's my favorite verse of scripture. Uh, don't write it down uh, just in case you have to speak. If I leave this world and say this was Al's favorite scripture because the whole Bible is my favorite scripture. But but there's there's a there's a verse in in Ecclesiastes. I'm sorry, not Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, uh, Lamentations, chapter number three. And I totally, I totally love uh, this verse of scripture. It's Lamentations 3 and verse 21. He says, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, will I have hope? I'm sorry. Therefore, will I hope in him? The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And so when, when I when I read that verse, I think about the goodness of God in our lives that literally um, I've heard the expression that marriage is like farming. Uh, you start over every day. And, and when, we, when, we, when, we, and when we look at the fact that the church is called to be the bride of Christ, we're his body. We're brought into relationship with him. And so every day the Lord releases unto us a brand new mercy, a grace, a grace that's greater than the grace that he gave us on yesterday. And so I have an expression that every day, God is in competition with himself. God, every day of your life, looks for an opportunity to outdo his goodness of yesterday. That's grace. And so today we're going to uh, explore uh, this topic of grace and that it really is sufficient. And so when we look at, there's some scriptures um, we're going to refer to these scriptures. Some of them we will read, many of them we will not read, but I will tell the story to you. So we're gonna look at um, the story of Noah um, in Genesis chapter number six, and then ultimately the story of Lot um, in Genesis 19. We're gonna look at uh, the relationship that God had with Moses in Exodus 33. 
Then we'll talk about uh, what is written in Deuteronomy 23 and Nehemiah 13. We're going to explore uh, the story of Rahab from Joshua chapter number two and Joshua chapter number six. And then we will land at 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse number nine. Again, I'll be happy to uh, email the slides to you when we're finished, if you desire. So when we talk about grace, what is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward men. The concept of grace is predominantly found in the New Testament and the epistles of Paul. Um, as we look at this word grace in the Old Testament, it is the word hen, H-E-N, and it's used 60 times. Um, the first example is Genesis chapter number six, and I'm actually gonna read uh, that verse to you, Genesis chapter number six, and we're gonna pick it up around verse number eight. Um, and it's talking about um, Noah finding favor in the sight of the Lord. We know that at this time, the abomination of men had come up before the Lord and the Lord was disgusted that he had made man and man's sin had come up and it stunk in his nostrils and he thought of destroying the earth. But, but, but something beautiful uh, happens here in, in, in Genesis uh, chapter number six and verse number eight. It says, um, I'm gonna back, I'll back up a little bit. Um, in verse number seven, it says, and the Lord said, I will destroy men whom I have created from the face of the earth, both men and beasts, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And this is the verse that gripped my heart. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace, he found unmerited favor that had nothing to do with him but everything to do with God. And we know the story. Nor went forth to build an ark, saved him and his household. He was, able, he was given the command, now you all go and repopulate the earth. And so through, uh, through this example of Noah in scripture, we see for the first time the word grace being used in scripture. And it was extended to a man uh, who really wasn't worthy, but God needed a worthy vessel in the earth. And likewise today, God is always looking for an opportunity, a man, a boy, a girl, a woman, uh, to carry out his will. And so the true question is, will we be extensions of his grace? So also when we talk about grace, um, we, we, we view it from the uh, concept in the New Testament, which is the word charis, charis. Um, grace, I like to look at it like this. If you can see, we're standing at, at two places and we're trying to get from one place to another. Uh, grace bridges the, the gaps. Without the grace of God, we cannot bridge racial divides. Without the grace of God, we cannot uh, 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 build anything. We all need the grace of God in our lives and his grace truly is sufficient in the processes of our life. And so as we see, we have our, our, our man here trying to get to the tree but the only way he's going to be able to get to the tree, the tree a representation of life, of hope, of peace, of joy, the only way he's going to get through to that, to that point is through the extension of God's grace. When we look at grace, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, I don't think they really say hallelujah or amen in the church, but we're in the parlor, so, so y'all can say amen if you want to. <laughs> and the last time I was here, am I right? They established that we can say amen. So listen, loosen up. Dunny, I know it's killing you. You want to say amen, and that's right, preacher. We can say it today. Come on. And, and, so, and so really, when, if, if, if you were to downsize grace into one phraseology, it would be God's riches at Christ's expense. Amen. I'm saved because of grace and it's not of works, lest any man should boast, it is the gift of God. And so that grace that was given to us, not um, 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 Mary Zoll talked about and Paul talked about, not by the law, but it was given to us by Christ 
that grace is sufficient in our lives. As we look at grace, grace is sweet, unmerited favor from God that offers forgiveness not because of who we are, but because of who Christ was. And so the fact that you're here today, the fact that his mercies are renewed every morning has absolutely nothing to do with you, but everything to do with God. And the law of reciprocity says that if I'm extended grace and I'm extended mercy, at some way in some form in my life, I'm going to extend it to others. And so with this grace that we have been given, there comes a mandate on our lives to extend that same grace and that same mercy to someone else. And seeing the multitude, Jesus took them and he, and, and he sat them down and he taught them the Beatitudes, how we ought to be as a believer who has received the grace of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The same meat in which you measure will be measured unto you. Give and it shall be given unto you. And so we ought to be the extensions of what we expect to receive. For after all, in spite of us, he loved us. There is nothing we could have done to buy his grace. There is nothing we could have done to make him want us or love us. But the God who created this world, who created everything that we see, made choice of us to show us mercy that we otherwise did not deserve. And so we want to explore our first story today. Hmm. I think most of y'all came today to hear about this harlot named Rahab. That's really what y'all came to hear. You don't want to know about grace. You want to know what's up with Rahab, right? So as we look at, at Rahab, the Bible tells us a few very interesting facts about Rahab. It tells us that Rahab, now the Bible says this. I did not say it. The Bible says that she was a harlot, mm -hmm. call girl, prostitute. That's what the Bible says she was. The Bible tells us that when the men were, were sent, when Joshua sent the men out to uh, spy out the land, uh, they went to scope out the land to see if they had sufficient to go over into Jericho to possess the land. Well, when they get there, they run into adversity. The spies run into adversity. Their lives were sought after, but there was a harlot named Rahab. And Rahab took these, these spies into her home and preserved their lives, even putting her own life in danger. Man looks on the outward adorning, but God looks at the heart. And it was something about Rahab's heart that caused the men to give her a plan of saving her family that because she had saved their lives, that not only would her life be spared, but the life of her entire family as well. We know the story, uh, the conquest of Jericho, the walls fall down, destruction comes in the street, but the men had given instructions to those who would go into the city that when they would tear things down, when they would see that, that, that scarlet rope hanging out of the window, that was the home of Rahab, the one that preserved us and saved us, and we're not to destroy her. As a result of them keeping their word, Rahab now converts and began to follow the God of Israel. And the woman who was once a prostitute, the woman who was once looked down on and not counted worthy, now is a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. I wanna, I wanna tell you that we serve a God who will take your improprieties and turn them and use them for the furtherance of the gospel. Each of us have things in our lives that we would prefer to stay sealed. All of us have records that we don't want read in the public. All of us have thoughts, 
Father Stewart asked me this morning, Al, have you ever wished your wife was dead? I said, man of God, how could you ask me such a question? None of your business what I told him. <laughs> Extend me some grace. <laughs> but Rahab found favor in the eyesight of God, not because she was morally correct, but because God had an intent for her life. There is an expression that I love to share uh, with the ministry where I serve, that God only spares what he intends to use. And so each of you have been spared from different things in your lives that otherwise should have wiped you out and taken you out. But the fact that God spared you in it, the scripture declares we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimony. And so your life will can, if you would share your real life story, can bring someone else to Christ. Pastor Hill, why are you talking about Rahab in the context of grace? I'm so happy you ask. <laughs> when we look at the life of Rahab, Rahab marries a man named Salmon. Salmon and Rahab has a son named Boaz. Boaz, uh, marries and he has a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse and Jesse has a son named King David. King David ultimately has a son named Nathan and the storyline goes on down to Methathiah who has a son named Joseph. And Joseph has a son named Janna, Melchi, Levi, Matat, Heli, and it ultimate leads us to Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. And that comes from Rahab the harlot. And so with, from Rahab the harlot, because of the grace of God that was extended on her life, God uses her to be a descendant of Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus Christ. That may not excite you. Maybe this one will. Maybe this one will. And so we look at Joseph, a just man who was called to father Jesus Christ, who was not his natural blended families can work. But when we look again at Rahab and Salmon, we go to Boaz. Boaz has Obed. Obed has Jesse. Jesse has King David. We go on down, and uh, David has a son named Rohabam. Rohabam have Abijah, King Asa, King Jehoshaphat, King Joram. Comes down to Josiah, Jeconiah. Ultimately, it comes down to where Jacob of the 12 tribes, Jacob, Rubion, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Gad, Asher, Dan, Neptali, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph Benjamin. Joseph is of the lineage of Rahab the harlot, and Joseph is the adoptive father of Jesus Christ. So God can take things that we consider a mess up, that we consider a derail, that we can consider a default, and use it in his plan of redemption and his plan of salvation. And then he extends the opportunity to you and I to be a part of the process. No way in the world did Rahab the harlot ever think that she would end up being the great, great grandmother of Jesus Christ. No way in the world could she have ever imagined that a holy God could take her unholy state and use it for his glory? And y'all see how you're having these aha moments? That is what the grace of God does in your life. It gives you an aha moment when you get beyond you. The grace of God is never about you. Jesus made this statement. Jesus, when he came to earth, he says, uh, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. 
it's written of me to do thy will, O God. He understood that his whole purpose of coming to earth was to be the extension of God's hand. Every one of us in this room have a purpose. And this purpose is further shaped and birthed by the grace of God that's upon our life. And so we have something truly that we can lift up our heads about. And we, I love God's redemptive plan. How Rahab did not have to live a life of shame. How Rahab did not have to live her life hung down. Matter of fact, she probably was able to stick out her chest because her life now have validity. For after all, when you go and read the generation, you go and read the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter number one, when you read the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter number 11, Rahab is listed in both of these places. The grace of God was sufficient for Rahab's life and it is sufficient for you and I. That may be a little, uh, can I take you further? Can I take you, y'all want to go a little bit further? Y'all don't like shallow water, right? You can't snorkel in shallow water, right? We want some tuners and some hammerjacks, so we got to go a little further out, right? Y'all want to go out? You want, you want some mahi-mahi. We got to go further? You want to go further? You sure you want to go further? You sure? If you want to go further, say, take me further, Rev. You sure you want to go? You sure you can handle this grace? All right, let's talk about David then. The Bible says that God says of David, I found David, the son of Jesse. We just learned who Jesse was. Jesse was, was um, Obed's son. Obed was Boaz and Rufus' son. So here, check this out. Even when God is talking about King David, he's really testifying about Rahab. So Rahab can never be erased from the history of mankind, from the history of Christendom because of the grace of God. So King, I'm calm, getting excited now. I gotta calm down. So King David, which is the third king of Israel, third, we know that Saul was the first king according to man, but Israel's first king was God. So God was their first king. And they looked around and they saw the other nations. They said, we want to be like them. We want a king that we can touch and a king that we can feel. And, you know, we want a king that we can look at. And the Lord says, okay, I'll give you a king, but you'll regret it the rest of your life. And we know Saul was a trip. He led them through some dangerous, dangerous situations. And so we get David, his son. David, his son was not a perfect man. We know how he had Uriah killed on the front line of the battle. We even know further how he tried to cover it up. So much so that the prophet Nathan had to come and knock on his door and give him a parable. He says there was a man that had a lot of ewe lambs. He had many possessions and fields and cattle and things of this nature. I'm paraphrasing. And he says, and there was, there was another man that had one little ewe lamb. And he said, the man that had plenty took from the man that had one. Then Skip, he threw it back in David's court. Because in that day, the king had the ultimate rule. The king was the one that would hand down judgment. And so Nathan throws the ball into David's court. And he says, David, what should we do to the man? David said, he shall surely die. And Nathan said, thou art the man. With our declarations of doom and gloom, let us make sure that we're not ultimately condemning ourselves. And in that moment of David's self-righteousness, he realized he was wretched, miserable, poor, and undone. And he picked up his pen and he began to write Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, 
according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He says in Psalm 51 and 7, purge me with hyssop that I can be clean. Wash me that I can be white as snow. He says in 51 and 10, this is one of my favorite verses, like for real. <laughs> he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. In that moment, David realized that the mercy and the grace that he should have extended unto Uriah, he did not. But in that moment, David realized the only way I'm going to get from this point to my next point is I need your mercy and your grace, God. And the sooner we recognize that we need him, the quicker our life can accelerate. And so that may be too theological for you, but I want to show you something exciting. That's why I'm talking about David. So. I showed you how earlier Rahab was in his lineage, right? Showed you earlier how Rahab had, uh, God had, had extended grace unto her, and she is now in the lineage of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Rahab is David's great-grandmother. That may not be exciting for you at first view. Let's make it exciting. So as we look at David's family tree, we trace him back to Abraham. Abraham has a son, and the son we want to talk about is Judah. Judah has a son named Perez, and Perez has a son named Boaz. On the other side, Lot, and I'm not going to go read the story, but we know Lot was Abraham's nephew and they were told to get out of their country and out of their kindred and go to a place where the Lord would show them. God never told uh, Abraham to take Lot, but he took Lot because Abraham was graceful. So in, in, as they're in Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord tells them again, I'm gonna destroy the earth, I'm gonna do it with fire. He tells them get out, but they did not have the strength in and of themselves to get out. So he sends angels to snatch him out of the city. They're coming out of the city. And we know Lot's wife looks back. She remembered her silk drapes. She remembered her Persian rugs. She remembered her silver that she got from her great, great grandmother. A family heirloom that if she got out, it would be burnt up. So the scripture says she looked back. When she looks back, she, begins, she becomes a pillar of salt. As a result, uh, Noah's daughters said, our father does not have a seed to carry the bloodline. So they devise a plan to get him drunk. They get him drunk. One daughter lays with him one night, the other daughter lays up with him the next night. Now, I know this sounds disgusting, so I've talked about prostitutes. Now I'm talking about incest, but I'm really talking about the grace of God, and I'm going to tie it in if you just give me a moment. I promise you I'm not going to curse, but I'm going to tie it all in. If you just, just can you get, give me about two to three minutes to give me, to give me an opportunity to tie it in? It's, can, I, can I have two to three minutes to tie it in? I can have two to three minutes. Okay. So uh, they, they devised their plan, and Lot has two sons by his two daughters. The first son's name is Ammon. The next son's name is Moab, which is where we get the Ammonites and the Moabites. That may not make sense to you right now, but keep that in the back of your mind because I got to prove a further point. So Moab then has Ruth. So we see here that Boaz and Ruth were really related to each other. Um, Lot was the grandfather of Ruth. 
Abraham was the great-great-grandfather of Boaz. Boaz and Ruth again marries. They have Obed, who has Jesse, who has David. That brings us up to David. Now let me excite it for you. So when we look at Lot, I'm talking about the grace of God. When we look at Lot, we get again Ammon and Moab. And Lot, uh, uh, Moab again has Ruth. And Ruth, the scripture tells us, is a Moabitess, right? Then we get uh, here where Tamar and Judah connect and have Zerah and Perez, who has Salmon, who has Boaz, King David again, Solomon, and ultimately Jesus. And we see here that when Salmon and Rahab connect, they birth what is known as the Canaanites. What does that have to do with the grace of God? Let's look at a story in Deuteronomy chapter number 23 and verse number three. Deuteronomy chapter number 23 and verse number three. And if someone feels like reading that for me, it would be awesome if you would read that verse of scripture for me. Deuteronomy. 23 and verse number three. I'd be privileged to read it, Pastor. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, no Ammonite or Moabite. Uh, oh, hold on. What's your name? I'm, I'm sorry, that's how I teach. So you're going to read sometime. I'm saying, hold on, hold on. Put a pen. Read that again. All right, give me your name. Isabella. Isabella. Thank you so much, Isabella. And so back up for me, Isabella. Start at the beginning. And stop after you read the two names. Okay. No Ammonite. No Ammonite. Or Moabite. Or Moabite. I'm good. You're good. Right. May enter the assembly of the Lord. May enter into the assembly of the Lord. So the Moabites and the Ammonites were disqualified from coming into God's house. Pastor Hill, why are you bringing this point out? Because King David was not only an Ammonite and a Moabite, but he was a Canaanite too. But even with his heredity, with his heritage, with his lineage, which, which was what was handed down to him, God violates his own law to show grace unto David. Let's go, uh, Isabella. Now we're going to go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Chapter number 13, verse 1 and 2. So we've established that David is a Moabite, an Ammonite, and a Canaanite. Somebody say triple disqualifier. <laughs> and in baseball, three strikes, you're out. But in God, three strikes, you qualify. Come on. <laughs> My goodness. So, Isabella, you ready for me? I'm not. Okay, we're <laughs> de- <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 13. And even when Isabella is not ready, God is ready. And in your life, see, this is, a, this is what a Pentecostal preacher would do. Don't preach about anything. No, but in our lives, even in those moments where we feel unready and undone, mm-hmm. those are the moments where God's grace is most sufficient. Yeah. And those moments where we feel inadequate and not enough and not sufficient, God says, my grace is sufficient. In those times when we don't know what to do and we don't know where to turn and we don't know where to go, he says, cast your cares on me. For I care for you and I love you with an everlasting love. Nehemiah 13, 1 and 2. (laughs) And on that day, they read from the book of Moses, the book of the law. Now, this is the law. It was a common practice that the prophet um, would read from the book of the law when the children of Israel would gather together, only the prophet or the priest of the house 
have the ability to carry the word and to, pre and to always present it before the people of the Lord so that the people of the Lord would not forget the law of God. And so they read the, the, the story, uh-huh. In the hearing of the people. Uh-huh. And in it was found written. Oh, oh, here we go. Yet our God did what? Turned the curse into a blessing. So we've established from the mouth of two or three witnesses, as the Bible says, that every word should be established. So it is established that no way, no how should David have been allowed to carry out the work of God, right? One scripture tells us that he's disqualified for 10 generations. Let's count. David the Boaz, one generation. Boaz the Salmon, two generations. Salmon to Perez, three generations. Perez to Tamar, four generations. Tamar to Judah, five generations. He still disqualifies. But the number five is the number of grace. Isabella, go to Psalm 121 and verse number one for me. Let me show you the grace of God in the story of this family. Psalm 121, just one verse, verse one. I'm sorry, 122, excuse me. Psalm 122 and verse one. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord of the congregation of the righteous. Hold on. The law that we just read in Deuteronomy and in Nehemiah says that because he was of Ammon, and he was of Canaan, and we're going to throw in this Moabite stuff as a trip, too. That's about human sacrifice and all of that stuff. He was disqualified from going into the house of the Lord. But God chooses him to build a kingdom for him. And David pins in Psalm 122 and 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He was not glad because it was Sunday morning. He was not glad because the pipe organ was playing and the priest had on his, his vesture. But he was glad because he was otherwise disqualified. But God extended mercy. And so when David pins Psalm 122, he pins it from the perspective, I may not be worthy to be here but by the grace of God, I am that I am. And so grace is always sufficient. Grace cannot be canceled by man. Grace cannot be withheld because folks say it should be withheld. God is the controller and the giver of grace. And the last time I checked, the Bible says he gives to all men liberally and he will not upbraid it. God is not an Indian giver. God, when he gives you something, he does not change his mind about it yesterday on tomorrow. And David was afforded an opportunity that he didn't qualify for. He messed up. He committed treacherous things, but yet in five generations, five, the number of grace, God reverses his rule and gives David something that he should not have. If you and I will be honest and truthful, 
with some of the things that we've committed in our lives, we shouldn't be here. We should be ashamed to show our faith. I'm sorry, I'm talking about my testimony. I should be ashamed to show my face in the household of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, he scooped me up from nothing, sanctified me with his word. And then he says, now I want you to go and tell it. And the same grace that I've given to you, I want you to extend to others. Which ushers us to our next story. The life of Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son and King Saul's grandson. <laughs> David and Jonathan had a pact, so to speak. They, they were soul brothers, man. They were, they, you, you know, you, got, you, got, you, you have friends that's closer to you than your brothers and sisters, than your siblings. So David and Jonathan, uh, uh, people all throughout history have suspected if something romantic was going on with them. Because the Bible says that they had a love that surpassed the love of women. I got friends like that, that we can talk about any and everything. That's my ace boom, you know? And so that's the relationship that David and Jonathan had. David, the man who had been shown the grace of God and the mercy of God. What's the difference between grace and mercy? In the perspective of the prodigal son, mercy is just taking you back. Grace is throwing a party because you're here. And so God is not just satisfied that you're a sheep of his pasture, but he want to throw a party and celebrate the fact that you're here. And so we get the story of Mephibosheth and uh, Mephibosheth um, on the day that uh, his father and his grandfather dies. Upon hearing it, his handmaid comes in the house and, and snatches him up. She inadvertently dropped him, and the Bible says that he became crippled on both of his feet. He had a disability that disqualified him from inheriting the throne. A king could not have a disability. A king could not be of short stature. A king had to have a tall neck and they had to be of tall structure back then because they needed to be able to see over the people to lead the people to victory. Mephibosheth was King Saul's grandson. That meant he was next in line for the throne because his daddy was dead as well. This disability caused Mephibosheth to be carried to a place called Lodabar. Lodabar being interpreted means a place of no pasture. So Mephibosheth who was entitled to the throne is now ushered to the land of nothing. But in the land of nothing, David, who had experienced the grace of God, remembers his friend Jonathan and ultimately Saul. And he says, David, when he assumes the throne, he says, is there anyone of Saul's house that I can show mercy to? And Ziba says, you know what? There's Mephibosheth, but he's out in the wilderness. David said, go fetch him. Mephibosheth was in such a lowered state in his life that he says that I'm here in Lodabar as a dead dog. The grace of God found him in a place of having self-pity, not feeling worthy to even come to the coronation that he was invited to, to eat at the king's table. But David sends for him anyway. 
Mephibosheth comes in and of course he's crippled and he can't stand. He falls down before King David. King David says, get up. I'm not a God that you should bow to me. And he says to Mephibosheth, he says, from this point forward, you will always eat at my table. He assigns servants to Mephibosheth. He tells them, now, now this is, I'm, I'm going off script now. This is the part of the story that messes me up. Now, if Mephibosheth is going to eat at King David's table, what was the purpose of King David telling the servants to go and crop the field and keep his pantry stocked? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You skip. Not at all. If I'm going to eat every time the king eat, I don't need to go grocery shopping. <laughs> grocery is expensive. I, I don't. I, I mean, it, but the grace of God is abundant, yeah. and it says that even. If you desire more, it's just in the pantry. <laughs> and so, and so back on script. Now, so Mephibosheth gets the honor of being able to come and sit at the king's table. And, and there his life is restored and David honors him for the rest of his life. The name Mephibosheth means from the mouth of shame. The grace of God comes to snatch us from the mouth of shame. Oh, my goodness. Finally, we end with Apostle Paul. Isabella, uh, if you will go second uh, Corinthians chapter number 12 for me. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. I'm there. All right. And we're, <laughs> and we're going to go to, I believe it's verse number 9 that I want. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Back up for me, if you will, to verse number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 and verse number 7. I prayed to God over and over and over. Have you ever told God that if you just take this from me, my life would be perfect? Have you ever told God, petitioned him in prayer, that God, if you love me like you say, and I believe you do, fix this. Paul prayed three times that God would take that infirmity away. Read it, Isabella. But he said to me. Now, this is not your friend that said, I've had enough. This is not even your mom after you done made her angry. And she said, figure it out on your own. Your mother ain't never told you that. But figure it out on your own. But he's talking to the God who can change and do anything. And that God says to him after he's petitioned him three times. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God tells him. You count it as a disability. I look to it as an opportunity to show myself in your life. You say that it causes you to be weak. And I say it causes you to be strong. For my perfect strength is revealed in your perfect weakness. And my grace, my unmerited favor is sufficient. 
And so what in your life has you thinking that maybe the love of God that we hear about is not really real? What in your life have you questioning, Phoebe, whether you're really a devout Christian or not? What in your life has you wondering if the love of God is really as abundant as he says it is? And I want to tell you, through the example of Rahab, through the example of King David, through the example of Mephibosheth, and through the ultimate testimony of Apostle Paul, that God's grace is always sufficient. I close with these thoughts. Grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. You cannot accept God's grace for your life until you let go of your own righteousness. Apostle Paul says that my righteousness is a filthy rag. And as long as we try to figure it out on our own, we're standing on our own. Grace is when God runs with you. Life without God is a race but life with God is grace. My final for today. I got this from a book of poetry that talks about healing. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with the one from whom it derived, and that's God. It is, that is, grace is powerful, divine, and vital piece of our existence. And it is the only reason we are able to open our eyes each morning. God's grace is more than a second chance. The grace of God is a third, a fourth, a fifth, a thousandth, a millionth, a trillionth, a cotillion opportunity. It is a love that keeps on giving regardless of our past. God's grace is always sufficient.